It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service for Monday, August 3, 2020. On today's special live episode on Zoom, Dr. Joe Schwartz. Dr. Joe, welcome. Thanks very much. So uh, one of the most popular topics that uh, I get to speak about, of course, is food because that's something we all have in common, right? We all eat. We all worry about what we are going to eat. Then we discuss what we ate and what we should have eaten, etc. And it turns out to be a confusing business, isn't it? Why? One day we're told to eat this, next day we're told to eat that. Butter kills us as the margarine industry. And of course, then Butter makers fight back and tell us that it's margarine that's killing us. And one can go on and on. You know, we're told, stay away from butter. And then we see this article in Time magazine about how it's okay to eat, eat butter. Uh, so obviously, it's, it's a very, very complicated business. There are numerous publications uh, that come out you know, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis. And even when you have some expertise in the area, it's difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff. <clears throat> but let's give it a try. Look at some of the controversies out there. Sugar. We used to love the taste of sugar, right? Makes everything taste sweet, makes the medicine go down. We were putting piles of it into our coffee, eating cakes and cookies, etc. And then we find out that sugar is tantamount to poison. Well, what is the truth here? As with so many of these controversies, the truth lies somewhere in between the extremes. Sugar is not a poison, but neither is it something that we should be gulping down in, uh, in a, an unlimited fashion. So moderation, of course, is the key. And we'll get back to uh, talking about this in, in a few minutes. So what do you do if you don't want to eat the sugar, if you've been scared away from the sweetness? What about an artificial sweetener? And a lot of people are, are replacing sugar with artificial uh, sweeteners. And of course, there are many different uh, varieties on, on the market, uh, saccharin, sucralose, aspartame, uh, etc. And uh, these are used in diet drinks. And, you know, people are hoping that if they consume diet drinks, then they're going to cut out the sugar and all of the bad things that sugar does. But then we find out that, that artificial sweeteners are not innocuous either. That when you consume them, they may upset the microbial balance in, in the gut. And uh, that can actually lead to, to weight gain. So what is the, the, the story here? Uh, as you probably know from all my previous talks, I'm not a fan of soft drinks of any kind, whether they contain sugar or artificial sweetener. I just don't think they need to be an integral component of the diet. I also never say never. Uh, I, I'll, I'll admit that once in a while with a pizza, I'll enjoy a Coke, but I certainly don't make a regular habit of it. Uh, water is the beverage that that really should be consumed with, uh, with food. And incidentally, uh, the stories that you hear of, of either uh, not drinking water with food or going out of your way to drink water with food, none of that has any, any scientific basis. Uh, you can drink water whenever you feel like drinking it. It's perfectly fine to drink water with, uh, with meals. And of course, the story goes on. It's not only about butter and, and, and sugar, uh, even things like milk. And uh, we've grown up with kind of the mantra that, you know, milk is good, uh, good for the bones. It's, it's a healthy beverage. Well, here too, there are some nuances. Uh, there are some studies that have shown that, in fact, uh, you know, uh, milk is not such a great way to improve the quality of our bones, and that uh, in some cases, milk can cause inflammation. So what do we take away from this? Uh, that we don't need to overdose on milk. I think the dairy industry, with their suggestion that we need to have you know, milk with every meal, uh, that isn't backed up by scientific fact, but neither do we have to totally stay away from, from milk. Uh, so, you know, these, these are complex issues. And 
For example, fish. I mean, we're told, go out and eat fish. Fish contains a variety of omega-3 fats, which are, are, are good for us. And there is ample evidence for this. You know, a, a, a diet rich in omega-3 fats reduces triglycerides in the blood. Uh, it reduces the risk of cardiac arrhythmia. So we're out eating fish. Uh, and we're told that if pregnant women eat fish, their babies will be smarter, have higher IQ. Uh, and then uh, we pick up a newspaper and discover that in fact, uh, fish uh, may contain mercury and, and PCBs, and therefore we have to control the amount of fish that, that we eat. And it goes back and forth like this. So it, it isn't surprising that there's a great deal of confusion out there about diet. Because indeed, food is extremely complicated. Uh, even something simple like a cup of coffee contains over a thousand different compounds. And remember that we're putting all of these complex compounds into the most sophisticated machine in the world, which is the human body. So you can't come up with simple solutions. So of course, we are confused and puzzled and baffled by uh, many uh, of the bits of advice that are thrown in our, our direction. For example, by people like the food babe. <clears throat> she has amassed a huge following on the internet, uh, despite the fact that she doesn't have any kind of scientific background at all. But she's a nice looking lady and she talks a good game. And uh, she tells you that if you can't pronounce it, you should not be eating it. Well, uh, I don't think we should make scientific decisions based on our ability to pronounce complicated chemical terms. Uh, let me give you an example of um, kind of things that, that you know, she discusses. Uh, she takes issue with this compound here called azyl dicarbonamide which is a chemical that is used uh, by commercial bakers, such as the ones who make the rolls that you get in Subway. And uh, this is essentially a leavening agent. It, it behaves very much like carbon dioxide does, which of course is generated by yeast, because any time that you can um, generate a gas inside of, of uh, dough, the gas will try to escape from the dough, and as it tries to escape, it causes the dough to rise. It doesn't much matter what gas. Now, this particular compound, azyl dicarbonamide, releases nitrogen gas uh, upon heat. And that causes the uh, same effect as yeast would do. And it just seems that uh, somehow commercially uh, this works better. I'm not sure why, whether it's cheaper, uh, better yield, or, or whatever. But anyway, the food babe objects uh, to this azyl dicarbonamide, which is found in, in, in bread. And she said it should not be in there. Uh, why? Because she has dredged up some study from the scientific literature where when test animals were exposed to grotesquely high doses of this compound, they found some, some kind of uh, uh, effect. Of course, the regulatory agencies like Health Canada and FDA are perfectly aware of this. And they have looked at all of these studies and have decided that the doses that were used on the test animals were far, far larger than anything that is found in commercial products. And they have deemed that this is not a problem. So uh, it is totally legal to put azyl dicarbonamide in, uh, into uh, bread. But in order to make her, her point, and to try to scare people about this, this chemical, the food babe goes on to, to explain that it is also used in the making of yoga mats, which of course is true. Uh, yoga mats are, are made of a, a, of a plastic and it has to be soft. So it is a foamed plastic. So they need to have bubbles of gas in there to, to cause this foam. And they use azyl dicarbonamide. But the fact that it is used in yoga mats and also used in Subway roll does not mean that you're eating a yoga mat when you're dining at Subway, which is, of course, what uh, this lady, Vanny Harry, would have us uh, believe. Uh, so just because a chemical is used in one context where it is a non-food context doesn't mean that it cannot be used in, in food. After all, uh, we use water to make cement it doesn't mean that we can't drink 
water. So this is just a fallacious argument. The only way we know if any food component is safe or not is by studying it, not by its origin. It doesn't matter where it came from. It doesn't matter what it is in, in, in terms of its chemistry. What matters is how we have studied it and what we know uh, about it. But, you know, she has been on TV biting into, <laughs> into yoga mats, uh, which would seem to be the opposite of the message that she's sending. But I guess this gets her, you know, on, on TV and uh, says that, no, you would not want to be eating yoga mats. No, we don't want to be eating yoga mats, but this has nothing to do with, with the uh, roles that we get at, uh, at Subway. But the message that she tries to, to send out to scare people is that these unethical bakers are, are using toxic amounts of like, azo dicarbonamide. Why? Uh, to to kill off customers. I mean, no no commercial enterprise wants to to kill off their customers, and it is the in the interest of the industry to have products be as safe as possible. And uh, if you want to have some rejection against. Uh, what you're getting at Subway, you can take a look at the ingredients that are inside of the sandwich, the high fat, high salt meats, etc. but leave the bun alone. <clears throat> Another interesting example that, that she points a finger at is trisodium phosphate. Now, trisodium phosphate is found in a, a, a vast uh, variety of foods. As a, it's a very, very common food additive. So she uh, talks about how it is found in, in Cheerios, for example, shows, shows the label, and then switches to trisodium phosphate as a cleaning agent, an all-purpose cleaner. And indeed, trisodium phosphate is a very effective all-purpose cleaner. And when you're using it as a cleaner, uh, obviously you're not going to consume it, but you also do have to be careful with handling it. It can be quite caustic. And here is the, uh, the warning label that comes with the cleaning agent, that if it's somehow accidentally ingested, it can cause abdominal pain, burning sensation, shock, collapse, etc. Yes, if somehow you would swallow a spoonful of trisodium phosphate, although probably it would have to be more than that. But anyway, this has absolutely nothing to do with the tiny amounts of the phosphate that are added to food. So th this is making a, a really a non-existent connection. While it is true that in high doses, this is a dangerous material if you swallow it. But uh, obviously, the amounts that are used as a food additive come nowhere near the, the concentrated dose that is used as a cleaning agent. <clears throat> so uh, phosphates are used in a large variety of foods for various reasons. They are added to, to ham and other cold cuts, for example, because it helps to retain moisture. Uh, they are added to potatoes because it prevents browning in the potatoes. It's a texturizing agent in things like cheese whiz. And uh, in baking powder, the phosphates uh, interact with baking soda to release uh, carbon dioxide. So there are many, many uses of, of phosphates, and they are indeed are present in our food supply. Now, in some cases, this can be an issue because people who do not have very good kidney function have trouble filtering out phosphates from the food and excreting it. And that can lead to a buildup of potentially dangerous amounts. And, and there is scientific literature uh, on this. And some of the literature even points a finger at people who do not have kidney disease, that there could be a buildup of, uh, of phosphate. But what do we make of this? Uh, it would be a very unusual situation where someone who does not have kidney disease has uh, some sort of adverse reaction to phosphate. However, uh, I think I would suggest that because phosphates are present mostly in highly processed foods, it is a good idea to stay away from highly processed foods, not only because of the phosphates, the phosphates are a marker for highly processed foods, and highly processed foods have all kinds of problems, very often high in salt and very often high in, in fat. So while pointing a finger at phosphates and declaring that they are some kind of toxic substance because they're used as a cleaning agent, that's misleading. However, it is also true that the phosphate additives are usually found in foods that we should be curbing for a large variety of reasons.
So it is important to read labels, for sure, because you want to know what it is that, that you are uh, eating. But it takes, uh, you know, some knowledge and, and uh, familiarity and reading books and, and, you know, perhaps taking courses to know which are the ones that one should be careful with. But it has nothing to do with whether or not the names are pronounceable or not pronounceable. Uh, many, many simple substances that we consume on a regular basis would have very, very complex names. Cyanocobalamin, for example, is uh, just vitamin B12. Uh, Beta-fructofuranosyl alpha-D-glucopyranose, which sounds like a mouthful, and it is, is just a chemical name for sugar. Now, there are all kinds of reasons to stay away from sugar, but the fact that it has what for many people is an unpronounceable name is not one of those reasons. Because of this fear of chemicals in our food supply, a lot of people are looking for labels like this, 100% chemical-free. <clears throat> this, of course, is a totally absurd label because nothing in the world is chemical-free. Chemicals are just the basic building blocks of all matter. And there are uh, over 160 million known chemicals. Everything in the world is a chemical, from the air that we breathe, which is a mixture of, of uh, nitrogen, oxygen, and minor gases like argon and, and carbon dioxide, uh, to all the components of the food that we eat, the building materials that, that, that we use, the water that we drink. I mean, these are all chemicals. So indeed, if you were buying something that were 100% chemical free, you would not be getting a good deal. Because the only thing that is 100% chemical free is a vacuum. So this is nothing but marketing, uh, marketing hype. Uh, and I don't even know what to say about what, what they can possibly mean by chemical free. I mean, sometimes what they refer to is that there are no synthetic chemicals, that it only contains substances that are isolated from nature, which is also meaningless because there's no distinction when it comes to toxicity in terms of whether a chemical is made in a lab or, or made in a plant. It depends on what it is and how we have studied it. <clears throat> but some of this silliness is propagated by books like this. And this is a very popular book. It has sold numerous copies. It's probably into the millions. Uh, Consumer's Dictionary of Food Additives by Ruth Winter, uh, who I, I think has very poor knowledge of what she writes about because there are innumerable uh, scientific errors in, in, in this book and, and misleading statements. For example, uh, tertiary butyl hydroquinone, uh, TBHQ, as it is uh, abbreviated, is an additive that, that is discussed in the book. You can look it up. And TBHQ is indeed used in the food industry. It is an additive uh, used in commercial oils, commercial frying oils uh, that are used in restaurants. Why? Because uh, oils can undergo a process known as oxidation. They react with uh, oxygen in the air, and that can lead to some side products which, which have a bad smell and also which, uh, which have potential toxicity. You don't want these oxidation products of fat uh, to be present. And TBHQ is an antioxidant. Now, it is interesting that you know antioxidants generally uh, are looked at as... as beneficial substances uh, because they reduce the amount of free radicals uh, that uh, are formed in the body as a normal product of, of metabolism. But anyway, Ruth Winter is against TBHQ. Why? Okay, this is taken from the book. TBHQ is a form of butane or lighter fluid, and ingesting amounts as little as one gram can cause nausea, vomiting, ringing of the ears, delirium, sense, suffocation, and collapse. Okay. Furthermore, well, let's look at this. It is not a form of butane, and I will explain that in, in a moment. And ingesting amounts as little as one gram. Well, yes, one gram may cause all of these. But when it comes to TBHQ, one gram is a grotesque amount. We don't come close to ingesting one gram. It is found in parts per million in the, in the oil. 
Now, this business of it being butane. Butane is a simple organic compound, and of course, it is highly flammable. It is used as, as a fuel. And yeah, if you would inhale butane, yeah, it would have a certain amount of, uh, of toxicity. And this frightens people that, that, that this is found in our food supply, that lighter fluid is found in our food supply. But it is not found in our food supply. What is found in the food supply is tertiary butyl hydroquinone. And indeed, you will find traces of this in, in, in uh, chicken McNuggets, for example, because they have been fried in oil, and that oil has uh, a small amount of this uh, antioxidant in it. But it is not butane. Now, if you look at the molecular structure here, and uh, you don't have to be a chemist to understand this, but the side grouping there where you see the four uh, uh, carbon atoms surrounded by the nine hydrogens, well, that four carbon piece is called a butyl piece because anything that has four carbons is called but something. Well, butane is a gas that is made up of uh, four carbons surrounded by hydrogens, but it's a totally different substance than TBHQ. It, this just happens to have a four carbon fragment in it. So to suggest that you're inhaling lighter fluid when you're eating chicken McNuggets is, is just total nonsense. The amount that is allowed in the oil is 0.02%. That is a trivially small amount, trivial small amount. You would have to be eating 330 nuggets to approach that toxic dose that we talked about, which is the toxic dose of one gram. And uh, while, uh, you know, it's a popular food. I don't think that there's anyone who has approached eating 313 nuggets at a time. So, uh, yeah, at one gram, you might find problems. But we're not talking anywhere near that kind of dose. And it is only the dose that makes the poison. Paracelsus, great sage, 500 years ago, told us this. And this is really the, the uh, cornerstone of toxicology. Whenever we talk about substances that we inhale or drink or eat, you have to take into account the amount and compare it to the amount that is known to have a toxic effect. Well, when we look at the chicken McNuggets, the amount of TBHQ that is in there is vanishingly small nowhere near the amount that can be toxic. Now, there are many other chemicals in the chicken McNuggets. For example, this one. This is uh, polysiloxane. It's a silicone, a silicone. And here, too, it is easy to scare us. And uh, Joe Mercola, who's a doctor of osteopathic medicine, although he hasn't packed practice for a very long time. Now he runs a very popular website, uh, which is mostly full of folly. But anyway, he tells us that, that uh, uh, chicken McNuggets uh, should not be consumed. Why? Because of the polysiloxane they consume, that they contain. But before going any further, let me just alert you to the fact that it's important to know who you are dealing with when you're getting advice. And any time that somebody sells products and hypes those products, you have to be very skeptical. Now, Mercola has a huge website and he sells all kinds of products. Here's one, for example. He is now talking about melatonin, which actually has some effect in, in lulling you to sleep. But now he's talking about this as being a possible preventative for COVID-19. No, there's no evidence for this whatsoever. But of course, he does sell melatonin. He also sells molecular hydrogen. What is this? Well, as you know, hydrogen is a gas. What he's selling you here are tablets of magnesium, small amount, 80 milligrams of magnesium. We'll put this into water. Magnesium reacts with water to release this hydrogen gas. You're supposed to drink this water. And then he talks about how this hydrogen is an antioxidant and it gets absorbed into the bloodstream and uh, neutralizes free radicals. The amount of hydrogen that would get into your bloodstream from this is, is trivial it would not have any kind of significant effect. So this is who we're dealing with when we're dealing with Mercola. So when he tells you that the polysiloxane is dangerous, uh, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Now, polysiloxane is, is uh, a polymer. And as you can see, it's made of silicon and oxygen joined together in, in a long chain. And this 
has uh, many applications. For example, it is the essence of silly putty. And of course, Mercola tells us that you don't want to be eating silly putty when you're eating your, uh, your uh, fried chicken. Well, no, you don't want to be eating silly putty, although I suspect that you could eat silly putty. I don't think it would do you any harm. I mean, I don't think it would be delectable, so I'm not recommending it. But these silicones are also used in medication. If you have excessive gas, cymethicone, which is a drug that is used, this is the same thing. So we are ingesting this. And the amount that you would get in this product is far, far more than what you would get in, in the fried chicken. So it just makes no sense at all to say that, you know, when you're eating the fried chicken, uh, you're getting uh, uh, silly putty in, into you. It's just, just nonsense. Anyway, I did once write an article about this because, you know, I, I became irritated with, you know, all of this nonsense that was being promoted. And uh, so I wrote a, a, a column for the Gazette on what McDonald's chicken nuggets really contain. And I said what they really contain is chicken. That's what they are made of. And of course, the additives that are used, the, the TBHQ and the, the polysiloxane, are there in very small amounts. And I explained exactly why uh, this was the case. And I certainly elaborated on why one should actually limit the amount of chicken McNuggets one consumes. And that is because of the fat content and the sodium content. And uh, of course, this means that uh, you know, the calories are, are pretty high and we don't want to be overdosing on salt, for, for sure. So I talked about uh, all of this, but I did explain, just as I explained now, the problem with the polysiloxane and the TBHQ being totally overblown. And I can tell you that, that I got a reaction to this column, which was totally uh, uh, unprecedented. I was called all kinds of names for uh, saying that, that it's okay for people to poison themselves with uh, butane and with silly putty by eating uh, you know, uh, fried, fried chicken. Of course, I said nothing like that. I explained it in more detail than I, ex I explained it here. But uh, there were all kinds of comments, you know, they, 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 question the, the marital relationship of my parents and at all kinds of, of, of vile uh, comments uh, because I had suggested that, that the, uh, uh, all the diatribe about uh, TBHQ and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, the silicone was uh, just undeserved. Uh, but um, people will, will just interpret everything based on their uh, previous views. And uh, it, uh, it just doesn't work to, to uh, try to slay the nonsense with, with, with facts. People who believe that these unpronounceable ingredients are dangerous are generally not going to be swayed by, uh, by facts. It's an interesting phenomenon. Um, I'll give you another example here of, you know, the fear of specific chemicals. Uh, for example, in, in Coca-Cola, the color. You ever wondered what that is, the, the brown color of Coca-Cola? Well, believe it or not, it comes from caramel. And caramel, of course, is just burnt sugar. And as you can imagine, when you burn sugar, you form a large number of compounds. Some of this are are colored, and that's you know that's the end goal here when you want to produce caramel for coloring something. But there's also a compound that forms called 4-methylimidazole. And uh, you know combustion processes or high heat processes uh, of of food can result in all kinds of of, of compounds. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, when you burn something, you will form dozens and dozens of different compounds. One of this is 4-methylimidazole. And this is the one that has generated uh, a lot of attention uh, among the people who worry about, quote, chemicals in their food supply. And it, uh, you know, it leads to warnings like this, your toxic uh, Coca-Cola and uh, imaginative warnings like this, that, you know, when you're drinking Coca-Cola, you might as well be shooting yourself. And what they are really referring to here is the 4-methylimidazole. Why? Because when this is fed to test animals, 
as is done in order to make sure that when it is in the food supply, it is there in safe doses. So you have to test it. It is fed to test animals. And turns out that when you feed it to these animals in high doses, you can create some difficulties. So a 12 ounce can of cola does contain some of this compound, contains about 130 micrograms. Now, what does this mean in exposure? A rodent exposure translates to roughly 10 to 100,000 cans of cola. That's the exposure that causes a health problem in there. So it basically is a non-issue. There are far better reasons to curb our intake of Coca-Cola. And of course, it is the sugar content. And also Coca-Cola is made with phosphoric acid. So it does contain phosphates. And it does make sense to not overdose on phosphates. But, but the 4-methylimidazole is just a non-issue here, but it is made into a big issue. The sugar content is, is a problem. And you know, as I mentioned at, at the beginning, while sugar is not a poison per se, it doesn't have any nutritive value either. We do not need sugar in the diet. It's not a vitamin, it's not a mineral, we don't need it. And uh, it just adds uh, extra calories. And of course, once we develop a taste for sweets, we, we crave it. And uh, sugar is added to, to medicines, for example. I mean, Mary Poppins, of course, told us sugar makes the medicine go down because we like the taste of sugar. Our taste buds dance when sugar is, is around. And this is what creates the craving for soft drinks that are laden with sugar. But of course, it results in uh, excessive weight and uh, it results in uh, obesity. And obesity, of course, is linked to all kinds of diseases. So obviously, we should control our intake of sugar. And uh, I think that's, that's the reason why we want to stay away from the soft drinks that are full of sugar because they contain as, as a stunning uh, amount. But it's not the caramel color that we worry about. Well, sugar, of course, is found in all kinds of foods. And uh, generally, you know, because of, of our like for sweets, we, we crave sugar. Uh, you mention ice cream sundae to someone and, you know, their eyes light up because this is a, a delectable dessert. Well, let's talk about this, uh, this for a moment. Uh, let me introduce you to Jamie Oliver. Uh, Jamie Oliver is uh, well known around the world today as the naked chef. Why? Not because he grew up cooking with uh, uh, less attire, uh, but because he says that he tells us the naked truth. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Before we go any further, let me, let me just uh, preface my remarks here by, by saying that I like Jamie Oliver. Uh, I think he, he tries to do good things. Uh, he has launched uh, programs in schools for children to eat better. Uh, so his heart is certainly in the right place. But sometimes the techniques that he uses are, are, are questionable. He was uh, on the Letterman show, talking to David Letterman about cooking and then you know, mostly making good sense. And then all of a sudden, he really frightened David when he started to discuss ice cream sundaes. Why? Because he mentioned that the ice cream sundae that is so popular that we all love to eat may contain beaver glands. Well, this is what set Letterman off. He said, what are you talking about? I don't want beaver glands in, in, in my uh, ice cream. Well, there are no beaver glands in, in ice cream. But let me tell you where this story comes from and how misleading it, it can be. Now, beavers do have a gland uh, near their rear end. Uh, and this gland produces a number of, of chemicals. This gland can be excised. That's what you're looking at here. It can be chemically analyzed. And it contains a large number of compounds which have been isolated and identified. Well, it turns out that one of these compounds, through a number of synthetic steps, can be converted into vanillin, which is the flavor of vanilla. And this has been published in the scientific literature. It's just an interesting thing, 
that with a series of chemical reactions, you can convert it into, into vanillin. But commercial vanillin is not made like that. This would not be a financial, financially viable way to make vanillin. Indeed, the synthetic vanillin is made from lignin, which is extracted from trees. Now, the, the scent of these beaver glands is sort of interesting. And in a dilute solution, it is sometimes used in perfumes. It's called castoria. Again, very, very little of this is used. But it is not used in ice cream. There are no beaver glands in ice cream. So Jamie has taken something totally out of context. He found somewhere that, that components of beaver glands can be converted into vanillin, which is true, which is an interesting academic exercise. But that vanilla ice cream has nothing to do with beavers. Well, Jamie also goes into schools and he teaches kids how to eat properly. This is very commendable. He tries to get them away from french fries, eat lots of vegetables, eat lots of fruits. But again, he will resort to demos to try to scare the kids away from the foods that he thinks they should not be eating. So again, we go back to the Sunday, because of course, kids like Sundays. And he, he does this whole talk on the ice cream Sunday, and what a villainous thing it is. Besides the beaver glands, he tells them that it contains shellac. Now, of course, that sounds kind of frightening, but there's some truth here. The candy bits that you see on there, uh, which are highly shiny, and indeed, there's a small amount of shellac that is on there. Well, shellac, of course, to most people means the stuff that you put on furniture in order to make it, it shine. Where does shellac comes from? It comes from a little insect, the Indian lac bug, which is attaches itself to a tree. That's what you're looking at here. It sucks the sap of the tree and it, and it converts it into this material called shellac. And they can be scraped off and, and purified and you get shellac. And this is an approved food additive. Uh, there is no risk associated with this and it is indeed used on, in candy uh, coating. But Jamie, in order to make an impact to the kids, in this demonstration, pulls out some live bugs. Now, these are not the lag bugs, some kind of different bugs. And tells the kids that now he's going to make an ice cream sundae. And he starts by putting these live bugs in there. Now, that's scary enough. And then he starts putting in some human hair and some feathers. Now, this is interesting, and uh, human hair and feathers are made of protein. When that protein is broken down into its component amino acids, one of those amino acids is, is L-cysteine. And this is the dough conditioner. It improves the quality of dough. And indeed, you can take feathers and hair and break it down into the individual components, purify that component and use it in, in this fashion. In fact, cysteine is even sold in health food stores as uh, an antioxidant for which there really isn't very much evidence at all. But Jamie says that when you're eating a sundae, you're eating feathers and hair. Well, no, you're not you're getting cysteine, which was sourced maybe from feathers and hair, but it has no further connection because the proteins have been completely purified and broken down into the individual components. But he, you know, he tells the kids, and there it is, he's made up his sundae, he's put in the shellac, he's put in the beaver glands, he's put in the feathers and the hair, and of course the kid is frightened away from eating uh, uh, an ice cream sundae. There are reasons to stay away from ice cream sundaes on a regular basis. And that, of course, is because of the high fat and the high sugar content. But this little demo about uh, uh, feathers and hair is, is totally uh, misleading. So he tells the kids, you've just eaten human hair, duck feathers, crushed up bugs when they have eaten an ice cream sundae. No, that is not true. That is not what they have eaten. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it sounds kind of frightening when he puts it like this. And uh, the kids indeed uh, do get scared. And, and I suspect that some of these will swear off the ice cream sundae. There's nothing really wrong with swearing off ice cream sundaes, although they provide some 
pleasure in life, but this is not the reason to uh, to do it. And uh, he also says, you know, the old, old meme here, that if you don't understand the crazy words, don't buy it. Well, once again, nothing at all to do with, with uh, uh, whether or not they're multisyllabic terms, you know, in, in uh, food com- components. So, uh, no, this is just nonsense. And then he finishes it all. He says, now that is a science class. No, that was not a science class. That was monkey business. That's what it was. And if you want to do a real science class, then you explain to kids what sugar is, what fats are, what they do to the body, why we should be limiting uh, intake. Now, this, of course, does not mean that there are no reasons to scrutinize some components in our food supply. Of course, there are reasons. For example, I mean, you look at these multicolored breakfast cereals. Uh, mostly they are laden with sugar, but there also the question comes up about these dyes, the food dyes. And uh, of course, these have a, a a history, sometimes a, a checkered uh, history. Uh, over the years, some of these components, which are used in things like jelly beans, have been replaced uh, because studies in animals have shown that that you know, in high doses, they cause some kind of toxic effect. However, you know, when we look at something like a food dye, it's different from looking at something like a food preservative. Food preservatives have real benefits right? They allow us to have an ample food supply, hopefully one that we don't have to worry about in in terms of of bacterial contamination. But when it comes to food dyes, they don't add any nutritional value. This is only a cosmetic thing. So we might be um, taking some risks with some food additives that have known benefits, risks that we would not take with ones that have only a cosmetic uh, effect. And these days, there's a lot of controversy about the food colors that are being used. And it is not at all uncommon to see this kind of uh, warning. Artificial food coloring, blue one, blue two, yellow five, yellow six, red number 40, found in all these foods. And they are uh, made from coal tar and petroleum. Well, again, this is one of the real bugaboos out there that is commonly repeated of of vilifying something because of its origin. The fact that something is made from coal tar or from petroleum has nothing to do with whether it is safe and effective or not. It's not the origin of a chemical that determines what, what it can or cannot do. Uh, it's studying it. That's how we know what what it is. And just because the raw material is petroleum does not mean that the finished product is uh, petroleum. For example, aspirin is made from phenol. Uh, phenol is extracted from petroleum. But by the time that that phenol is, is converted through a series of chemical reactions to aspirin, it has nothing to do with petroleum. But of course, this is is sort of a very inviting argument because uh, people think that if there's something synthetic, it's highly suspect. But if you could source your color from beets, from grape skin, from turmeric or saffron, uh, it is therefore safe. Well, uh, by and large, I I think uh, colors that are extracted from vegetables here are are preferable to the synthetic colors. I, I would agree with that. Uh, because there there have been some studies where these uh, specific synthetic dyes in children, uh, not universally, but in some cases, do cause hyperactive uh, behavior. And of course, you can also have allergic reactions uh, to these. But but mostly, I would say that the foods that are colored with these artificial dyes are foods that we should be staying away from anyway. But Remember that any food color that is used is approved by Health Canada. And Health Canada has a long list of food colors that are approved based on testing with animals, based on human epidemiological evidence. So no manufacturer can just say, gee, you know, I would like to put such and such a color into the food. It has to be an approved uh, additive. But, uh, you know, it is true that there 
are some allegations that food dyes can affect behavior. Now, this goes back to Dr. Benjamin Feingold in the 1970s, who first came out with this theory that hyperactivity in children can be caused by certain food additives. And this has been put to a test over and over again. And while um, uh, it is widely thought that this has been shown to be true, that it is evidence-based, and that hyperactive kids are so because of the food that they eat, and if you take away those kind of foods and you convert them into nice, well-behaved little kids, uh, the fact is that the scientific literature does not really corroborate this. For example, here we have a a study, double-blind placebo-controlled study, which is the kind that you'd like to have, about artificial food colorings and uh, benzoid preservatives, and and they looked at hyperactivity in in children. And they just could not really link the uh, hyperactivity to specific compounds in, in, in these foods, except in a few rare cases. However, what is also interesting is that when parents think that their children are hyperactive because of some food component, they will make that connection and believe it to be scientifically sound. And the the studies that have been done, these these double-blind studies, uh, have shown that you cannot reproduce this in the laboratory. However, when a parent thinks that their kid has eaten the, quote, wrong kind of foods, they will think that the hyperactivity that they are observing, which may be for a variety of reasons, is due to the uh, food additives. But again, I I will agree with the the fact that these food dyes uh, are very often in in foods that you want to to limit. there are other allegations too, which I, I think are even less scientifically based on the hyperactivity. Things like the you know linking of certain food dyes to to cancer. The one that has been talked about is red dye number three, which is called erythrocin, and uh, uh, this used to be used in in uh, uh, coloring. Uh, uh, variety of, of of nuts. This is is really. Uh, no longer done. I mean, pistachios used to be red uh, to distinguish them from peanuts because they were more expensive than peanuts, and uh, people were getting confused. They were thinking that they, you know, they were paying a lot of money for peanuts when actually they were buying p- pistachios. Anyway, uh, it's also the the coloring that was used in in maraschino cherries, for example, and this is a molecule that has iodine in it, uh, and. Uh, Anything with iodine in it gets absorbed into the thyroid gland relatively easily. And studies have uh, been done on male rats, as you can see, and in very high doses, erythrocin results in, in thyroid tumors. And this is what caused the scare. But again, we look at numbers. You'd have to consume about 14,000 servings of fruit cocktail uh, for 70 years in order to get to a toxic dose of, of this chemical found in the, uh, in the maraschino cherry. So I don't think it really represents a risk for, for humans. Uh, it's not the only kind of colorant that is used in, in maraschino cherries. In fact, because of this the whole concern about rats, it has mostly been replaced by something called cochineal red. Not that that doesn't have its uh, opponents. Uh, Cochineal is extracted from a tiny little insect. And here you're looking at at a a close-up of this uh, insect. And uh, it lives on cacti, uh, most in the Canary Islands, also in in Mexico. And those little white things that you're looking at here on the cactus, these are the the, Insects, they coat themselves in, in, in this powder. But anyway, they can be scraped off of the cactus and they can be squeezed. And when you squeeze them, you get this red uh, dye. Incidentally, it is only produced by the female of the, the species. Of course, they're not separated. And so the males are sacrificed for the beauty of the, of the female. So anyway, it is extracted and you get this red dye. 
And um, it is one of the most commonly used uh, commercial uh, colorants. And it can be used in the maraschino cherry. Uh, it is also, uh, or it was used in Starbucks uh, coffee, some of these, uh, uh, or the, these um, uh, smoothies, uh, strawberry smoothies, for, for example. And uh, because of a concern that arose, because people didn't want bug extract in their drink. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, once this chemical, the cochineal, is extracted from the insect and purified, you're not eating insects. And you know, it's it's interesting that people are reviled by the thought of eating, you know, some chemical that comes from insects, but they're perfectly happy eating the rear end of a cow, which is, of course, what what steak is. Cochineal red is an approved food additive. Uh, but uh, Starbucks has uh, now removed it because of this uh, this fear. Is there any potential problem? Well, yes. Uh, anything that you put into your mouth, in some cases, idiosyncratically can cause a problem. Uh, there are potential allergic reactions to cochineal. Yes, I mean, this uh, uh, can happen. It's rare. It is. It has happened. For example, some lipsticks are formulated with the same red. And there was an interesting case that, that I consulted on a few years ago where uh, a young boy every Friday uh, would be picked up by his grandmother from school. And every Friday night, he developed a rash on his, uh, on his face. And they couldn't figure out what it was. Well, eventually it turned out when, when the grandmother picked the kid up from school, she kissed him on the, on the cheek and turned out that he uh, was allergic to the cochineal in the, uh, in the lipstick. It can happen, but it's a very rare situation. But it is true that, that you know, if, if you are eating a lot of these highly colored foods, uh, you are uh, exposing yourself to substances that you don't need to expose yourself to, but mostly you're also exposing yourself to a lot of sugar and a lot of fat. That's what you get in, in, in the cake. And these days, there's a movement away from the so-called synthetic or the artificial dyes towards the natural ones. Now, most of this is because of you know the fear, mostly unrealistic, that people have of the small doses of these artificial dyes. But anyway, you can see that many of them can be reproduced uh, by making use of very of natural components. But of course, you can be allergic to natural components too. The ones on the bottom, in the bottom row here, uh, are, are made with uh, natural uh, extracts. The top ones are, are made with artificial colors. The blue is the one that is very difficult to reproduce uh, uh, with any kind of natural thing. But again, uh, one needs to limit the amount of Smarties or M&Ms that one consumes because basically what you're eating here is, is sugar. I don't say never eat it, but I, I don't think that the worry here should be over the dye that is, is used. Now, it is interesting that in some areas of the world, uh, there is um, more concern about this than, than others. Uh, for example, uh, in, in Britain, as you can see, Kellogg's, because of a a lot of commotion there about synthetic dyes is making their, uh, in this case, their Nutri-Grain bars with beetroots and anato paprika extract. Whereas in uh, in the US, they're still using with red number 46 and blue number one. Uh, is there a health risk here? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think there's, you know, the rare possibility of a, a allergic reaction, but again, if you take a look at the ingredients here, you'll find that these are very high in sugar. That's more the reason to, to avoid it. All right, so if we don't want all of these you know, processed foods, and indeed, you know, we should curb it, uh, let's look at these. Look, all the wonderful natural foods here that we uh, should be eating. But if we put our sort of you know, chemical knowledge to use here. We take a look at the radishes and they contain compounds called goitrogens. They interfere with the way that the thyroid gland works. And the uh, cheese here contains tyramine. Tyramine can lead to high blood pressure. Uh, continuing here, the oranges have tangeritin, which is toxic to rat embryos. Uh, the celery also contains goitrogens. The carrots contain myristicin, which is a hallucinogen, 
So we certainly don't want that. Uh, serotonin is uh, found in bananas and in the wrong dose, uh, it can cause behavioral uh, issues. And then we have the apple and the apple seeds contain cyanide. So we can't have that either. So we got to remove it. All we are left with is the plate, which is undoubtedly coated with chromium, uh, which has been infusing chromium into all the foods on top of it. So we just can't eat anything at all. Wrong. We can eat all of these things because although they do contain the chemicals that I just mentioned, they contain them in amounts that are way too small to have any kind of effect on us. So yes, this is the kind of diet that we should be eating. We should be eating good, wholesome foods. And I will agree that we should be curbing our intake of all of these processed foods, not because the, the colors or the preservatives are, are deadly, but because they are nutritionally not properly balanced. Uh, you're not getting all the, the vitamins, the minerals, and the phytochemicals that you would get from your fruits and your vegetables. And you're generally getting a lot of salt and you're getting a lot of sugar. But generally these foods are cheaper and they are in ample supply and they are easy to eat and you don't have to spend as much time cooking. So they are very popular. And this is a problem. We are eating too much fat and too much salt. Uh, uh, we need to, to uh, curb our intake of these and indeed eat the fruits and eat the vegetables. And also, let, let's remember uh, that uh, foods like this, deep fried Twinkies, uh, you may once upon, you know, try them as a curiosity, but they should not be a feature of, uh, of our diet. This is what a diet should look like. The more different colors we eat, the better off we are. But I want to leave you with one last idea. And that is why we talk here about whether we should be eating food dyes or not. Vast numbers in the world would be very happy eating our processed foods because they basically are going hungry. A third of the world goes to bed hungry every night. So I hope I've been able to give you a little bit of insight into some of these chemicals in our food supply and how to uh, think about it. Uh, if you go to our website, uh, there's lots of information about food, food additives, etc. And you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter that is free, of course, and you get it in your email inbox every Saturday morning at six o'clock. And uh, we also uh, have uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter accounts. So thanks very much for uh, your attention. And uh, what can I tell you? Bon appétit. Uh, maybe you have something to think about now about uh, replacing some of the processed foods that you eat with uh, more fruits and, and vegetables. But again, uh, I urge you not to be neurotic about the trace amounts of food additives uh, that are present that some uh, alarmists make a big deal about because they look at how once fed in very large amounts to test animals, they provoke certain problems. So that's it for, uh, for today. And uh, we will, I guess, see you again next month. And we have a minute or two if uh, someone has a question. Dr. Joe, there was a question. I believe you answered it. It was, does chocolate cause hypertension in, uh, uh, or hyperactivity rather in children? No, it doesn't. Uh, uh, first of all, sugar, uh, contrary to what people think, does not cause hyperactivity. Sugar has all kinds of problems. What, what causes hyperactivity is, is the situation. The reason that, that uh, people associate with cakes and ice cream and chocolate with hyperactivity in children is because these things are usually served at birthday parties, uh, and that is what provokes the hyperactivity. It is the loud music, it's the clowns, it's the games. It's not the food that, uh, that they eat. So no, uh, chocolate does not cause uh, hyperactivity. Dr. Joe, I know you're at the office now. What did you have for lunch today? Can we ask? I, yeah, absolutely. I had a, a sandwich uh, and I had eggplant. I, I love eggplant, the Romanian eggplant, uh, which I get at Bucharest on the carry. And uh, I sliced up radishes. So I had a sandwich with Romanian eggplant and sliced radishes. And I had a banana and I had four plums. All right. Well, you, you, you walk the walk, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I try. I try. But as I said earlier, I never say never about anything. I, I don't mind having a hot dog. 
as long as there's a good baseball or hockey game in front of it, uh, I will have pizza, although I certainly will not have it every day. Uh, and there's virtually nothing that I say I will never have because it, it, it's a balance. It's, you know, uh, it's not what you eat at any one given meal. It's what you eat over a period of, of time. And uh, I, I do try to concentrate on eating five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And of okay. course, exercise. I think that is the real key. That is the real key. Unfortunately, we cannot put that in a bottle. If we could, uh, we'd be well off. Dr. Joe Schwartz joins us each month for Science Demystified. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Well, that is today's episode of the Code St. Luke podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to our guests and thank you to you for listening here today. The show is produced by me, Daryl Levine. The telephone broadcasting service and podcast was launched as a way to get content into your home during the pandemic period. As you know, we had to stop our events at the library and at Parks and Recreation. So we hope you're enjoying the podcast as a sort of a virtual way of getting the content to you so you can hear your favorite speakers at home. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Every rating and review helps others to find the show. Have a great day.